I remember it very clearly. I woke up and then kind of realised what was going on and ran out to um, the television and saw my dad taking it all in. I could just hear this messaging as I was slowly waking up around America is under attack and he drove me to school and as I was getting out of the car he said hang on a minute just be careful today today and the next few months maybe years will be hard and you just look after yourself. What I remember was my dad he was full-on uh, listening to news um, to get to know what's happening around the world. Uh, we, he had a radio that was listening to BBC at the time. He was telling us that there was a bombing in, in America, in the United States, uh, that apparently was um, done by people from Afghanistan. Uh, he did seem a bit worried around what will happen to Afghanistan and its people. He was saying there will be another war again. I think I'd have been... 11 or 12 on that day. Uh, the first thing I can really remember is on our, our bus ride home, we had like a, a radio DJ. And on that particular day, it was just, it was music the whole th- way through, interrupted by one like little pre-recorded message saying, you know, due to the events in the United States, you know, we won't be doing our normal programming. And then we'd get home and obviously everybody's watching it on the news. I think at the time I didn't realise how big an event it was and thought, you know, within a week or two weeks, it would have sort of blown over. I remember remarking something like that to my dad. He just sort of laughed at me and uh, said, oh, no, we'll be talking about this for, you know, a long time to come. But here we are now. I am Rana Hussein. I am 35 years old. My parents migrated in the early 70s from Hyderabad, India. My name is Zaki Haidari. I am a refugee on a temporary visa from Afghanistan. I am 27 years old, living in Sydney. I'm Bill Capstick. I'm from Penkridge in the West Midlands in England. I'm 32 years old. I served in the Royal Signals. I deployed to Kabul in 2011. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. 20 years ago, the terrorist group Al-Qaeda hijacked four planes, flying them into New York City's World Trade Centre and the Pentagon, killing nearly 3,000 people. The September 11 attacks and the war on terror that followed changed the world. They ushered in a new era of global conflict, domestic terror threats, counter-terrorism laws and Islamophobia. Two decades on, the legacy of the attacks still reverberates all over the world. Today, Osman Faruqi speaks to three people whose lives were changed forever by 9-11. Oz, can you tell me about why you wanted to cover this story in this particular way? Well, Ruby, so many people's lives were changed on that day, including mine. Like thousands of Muslim Australians, my religion went from being something that was a source of confusion and curiosity to something that made people feel scared and threatened by me. 
And then in the years that followed 9-11, we saw politicians in the media use really divisive rhetoric to further marginalise the Muslim community. We saw the introduction of immigration policies that punished the most vulnerable, and the groundwork was really laid for the resurgence of the far right in politics. And so 20 years on from, from all of that, I've been thinking about how much things have changed. And I wanted to know how that day, that moment shaped the lives of different people, different people who were all impacted by 9-11 and the war on terror. Mm, I'm looking forward to hearing what they say. Rana, you're a Muslim Australian. Your parents migrated here from India in the 1970s. You grew up in suburban Melbourne. What do you remember about how life changed for you immediately after 9-11? What I felt at the time was a feeling that we had to hide in a lot of ways. Post 9-11, it very much felt like we were in the spotlight and under quite an extreme focus. So it suddenly became that kind of infamy that you just don't ever want So the reality was there were a lot more questions, everyday questions about, you know, about my faith. And then there were questions as a woman and as a Muslim woman about the place I hold in my faith. Are you inferior? Do your people think of you as inferior? Are you repressed and being held back? Do you need saving? You know, there was a lot of that conversation too. I mean, people's homes were getting raided because they had Islamic texts in their homes. A very common practice for a lot of us would be to send money back to home countries. Suddenly people were nervous to do that because then was that a donation to a terrorist country all of a sudden. And so it just became, you know, a very much a divide and very much a feeling of isolation from the rest of the community. Zaki, the very first action taken by the US government and its allies in retaliation to those attacks in 2001 was the invasion of Afghanistan. You were living there at the time. What was it like seeing what happened on 9-11 and knowing that your homeland, your country, was about to be invaded? I think it's not a great feeling for any citizen um, to have a feeling that, you know, your country will be controlled by another country. You know, you will you will see uh, another army will come to your country and your people. Um, so a war is a war. It doesn't have a good side. Um, it's always have the negative and, and bad sides. There's always blood and there's always fighting in it. Um, but what we were hoping was uh, that the Taliban regime will end because that was a very hard regime at the time, uh, that we will have a different country. Um, what I can tell you is uh, it did have a massive uh, change to the, to, to the lifestyle of people in the capital, especially in Kabul, um, in Mazar Sharif and Herat province. Uh, it did create this platform um, for people to go to school, get education. Um, in a way, it did provide this uh, hopeful future that your country will be a democratic country. You will live in a very democratic world. You will have access to education. You will have access to your right. And the world will support Afghanistan and its people. Bill, why did you decide to join the army and serve in Afghanistan? 
believe it was in 2007, we had a bombing or a series of bombings in London on the tube. That prompted a good friend of mine to join when we were leaving school. And he was pretty badly injured in Afghanistan. And it was sort of when I first visited him after, like he'd come back and was in hospital. And he was still so, I suppose the word would be like gung-ho and, and, and pro, like towards that, that mission and that we were doing the right thing. Like I was toying with the idea before, but that's what really cemented it for me then, that it would be the, you know, the right thing to do, I suppose. Pretty common saying around the time was like, we'll, we'll fight them over there rather than fighting them at home. Uh, we were all of the opinion that the more we did to you know, squash terrorism abroad, uh, we, we'd stop that. I was based in Kabul um, with the Royal Signals as part of like an ICS detachment. Uh, in short, just trying to trying to protect vehicles from IEDs by blocking incoming signals and stuff like that. I don't know whether it's just more of a young man thing thinking you can you can fight your way out of a lot more problems. Uh, but I, I was definitely swept up in the the patriotism, you know, like the, the national sort of pride of going out there and yeah, we'll, we'll win a war and make make everything better back home. Whereas really, uh, I, I don't know whether we've made anything better or just made the situation worse overall. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Rana, over the past two decades, Islamophobia has become deeply embedded in Australian politics. We've seen the resurgence of One Nation and the far right on very explicit anti-Muslim platforms. To me, it feels like there is a direct line between the rhetoric that was used by politicians and the media in that immediate aftermath of 9-11 and where things are at now. What do you think? Completely. And I think that politics, that strand of politics has been in I mean, probably from day one, to be honest, I think we're probably built on on othering people and, and fear of the other. When I was in primary school, Pauline Hanson was, you know, very much hitting her stride, but it was centred around Southeast Asian communities. And even as a child, I remember very clearly thinking, this is going to come for me too. Right now it's them, but this is also about me. And then 9-11 happened and that sort of then unfolded in that way. Later I remember Pauline Hanson then coming back with a more anti-Islamic rhetoric and I walked into my job at the Richmond Football Club at the time, you know, all over the front pages of the newspapers 
was Pauline Hanson and a headline that said Islam is a disease that needs to be vaccinated against. And to be honest, I don't think anybody else in the organisation blinked an eye at that, but I saw that and suddenly just crumbled inside and felt hot and thought, is everybody looking at me? Are now people looking at me like that? Is this planting a seed of doubt about who I am? Because I've walked in with my hijab and everybody knows that I'm Muslim. Are people scared of me? Am I safe here? But again, 20 years on, it hurts that I still feel that way. Zaki, 2001 also marked a turning point for Australia's approach to refugees. Since then, we've seen our immigration policies become increasingly linked to the war on terror and politicians have essentially argued that refugees, especially those who arrive by boat, are potential terrorists and people that we should be scared of. How has that particular legacy of 9-11 impacted your life? Look, when I left Afghanistan, I didn't know anything about Australia and I didn't even know you guys speak English. (laughs) Um, so everything was uh, a sort of surprise for me when I arrived on this land uh, back in 2012. Um, the journey was full of nightmares. Um, it destroyed me emotionally. When I got to uh, the Australian shore, that journey didn't end there. Uh, I was put into a detention center for a couple of months. Um, I was released in, in, in the community on a bridging visa with no work rights and no access to education. Uh, so there was a lot of um, conversation. There was a lot of ad that, that we will be sent to offshore processing center. At the time, it was narrow or minus island. Um, so when we were, we were at detention center, there was always feeling that can we have another another next day in Australia, or will be sent, or will we be sent to one of these offshore processing center? If I had the opportunity to come by plane to Australia, I would have been different. But I didn't have that luxury. And so many other Afghans that are here living in this temporary temporariness, we didn't have that luxury. So we, we were forced to come here by boat, and now we're suffering the consequences. This year marks 20 years since both the 9-11 attacks and the invasion of Afghanistan. In recent weeks, the US and its allies have withdrawn from the country. After two decades of occupation and bloodshed. How do you feel about the withdrawal? Uh, I think when I first heard the news, I think it was, I think Trump announced it first, maybe a year or two ago, that he'd he'd actually signed the deal that he was going to go. At the time, I wasn't really fussed about it. Maybe I thought it was long overdue. Um, the, The sheer amount of money that must be wasted still there, you know, and the occasional life just is, it just wasn't worth it. As many other Afghans, I had different feelings and different emotions. But what I can tell you is I didn't expect that my country will fall into a terrorist group so fast and so quick. We had this fear that this day will come because the Afghan government was never strong enough to protect its civilians and its citizens. I, I don't think anyone's surprised that it did happen, but definitely the, the the speed of how quick everything just folded over was was pretty surprising. But as I look back at it now, I don't really see that we've, I don't really feel like we've achieved anything by being there. Obviously, with the news recently with Kabul, 
So I was only like a you know a few miles away at most from that airfield. You know the footage that we've been seeing coming out of Kabul airport, people trying to hang on on the, on the airplane. You know it shows how people are desperate to find a safe place, and they they do take any measure in place to find that safety. Personally, I find it really hard to separate out the events of nine eleven and what happened afterwards in this country, in Australia, from who I am. I think growing up Muslim in Australia over the past couple of decades, your identity was shaped so heavily by the politics, by the discourse, by the corrosive way we talk about Muslims and Islam. How do you think the events of 9-11 and what happened afterwards changed you? Do you, do you think they influenced the kind of person you are today? Uh, it, it is baked into the person I am today. You know, I was 15 when it happened and that feeling of being on the outer and wanting to prove that I'm not a threat, that I belong, that I can participate and, and deserve to be to be loved and and included has driven everything that I do. I'm a boat person and I'm an asylum seeker and I'm a refugee and I'm a Muslim, you know? I have many labels that I have that has been given to me and I live with them. I'm not a policy expert and I'm not uh, I don't know much about the political side of it, but as an as an as a refugee and as a person that I have been living in Australia for the past nine years, experiencing all these policy changes towards refugees, I can tell you it's disgusting. I have been living in this country for nine years. In 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 some of days, I had really good life, but not always. I came here when I was 17. I didn't have the opportunity to build my life. I could not go to university because that rights of education was taken away from me. I was not allowed to work for three years. I was forced to beg for my food. I was not allowed to call a country that accepts refugees my permanent home. And I still, I, I can't. I, I'm on a temporary visa. My visa runs out in the next, in the next few days. So I live and breathe under this policy that is designed to punish people who arrive here by birth. So do you think that we, our leaders, as well as the community more broadly, have learnt anything from the past 20 years in terms of either using tragedies like 9-11 to stoke division and fear or this rush to go to war? I'd really, I'd, I'd really like to think so, but no, I don't think, I don't think people really have learned the lessons. I think um, maybe give it 20 years, 10 years, and uh, if not the US or England with them, we'll, we'll invade somewhere else with the aim of making it better and, and get sort of mired down in, in something that probably isn't really our business. But when, when I speak to anyone else who's very eager to say if we were to invade another country, just think about like the, just the real human cost of it, I suppose. Um, 
It's, it's not like the, the Taliban were sailing across the channel and trying to invade London. Our, our way of life wasn't really that much at threat for the amount that we sort of sacrificed along the way, I suppose. It pains me to see history repeats itself again. Afghanistan is going back to where it was 20 years ago in a very dark age where women don't have access to education, women are not allowed to work, women are not allowed to leave their house without a male companion. The world hasn't learned anything from the war that we have and we had for the last 40 years in Afghanistan. Uh, the answer to that question, I want to say is yes, we have learned and I can point to things like Waleed Ali on TV, you interviewing me now. Individuals are making it through. But I'll tell you one thing, when I had my daughter six now, when she was born, uh, my partner is a fair-skinned Australian. When she was born and I saw that she had fairer skin like her father, I felt such relief and it breaks my heart. Uh, that I felt that way. And in that moment, I realised that we haven't come as far as we need to because I still feel fear for her and wonder what her life will be like. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloan Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.